children, you are dismissed to junior church, Mark chapter 6, and remember uh, last week, we looked at the, the feeding of the 5,000, and you really could say the feeding of the 5,000 plus, um, because it could have been up to 20,000 or more with women and children, uh, and you know, just, just the fact that Christ did that, and it shows us that he is sufficient to, to meet our every need. And he will take care of us. And uh, especially concerning the spiritual needs that we have, he is sufficient in every single way. And, I mean, you just imagine what it would have been like to be the disciples during that time. I mean, just to see that take place. Uh, and remember, we talked about how the disciples and Jesus, they both saw the same need, but they both dealt with it differently, right? The, the disciples, they just wanted to get rid of uh, the need by getting rid of the needy, but what did Christ do? He He wanted to fulfill their need, and that's what Christ does. Um, and now, while that miracle it was just an undeniable display of the incredible power of God, we're brought to another miracle that really is probably equally as incredible as Jesus Christ walks on the water. So let's look at Mark chapter 6. And look at verse 45. It says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before Bethsaida, while he sent away his people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land, and he saw them toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when, he saw, but when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracles, the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray this morning as we just open this, this Bible, this is the word of God, uh, that you'll help us to just remember uh, that this is what's going to help us this morning. Uh, we need your word. And, uh, Lord, in the storms of life, in the problems of, of every day, we need you, and we need to go to your word. And I pray, Lord, that this morning you'll open up our hearts to receive what you have for us in your word. I pray that you'll just uh, be with those this morning that are going through some storms, because I know that there are many. And I pray that you'll just give them grace and peace in their storm. And I pray, Lord, that you'll just uh, give us what only you can as we look in your word this morning. And we love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to consider um, what a hardened heart would look like and people that, you know, have a hardened heart, you would probably think of the most vocal atheist, um, maybe the most vocal haters of God. Uh, maybe you'd think of a hardened, hard-hearted people uh, as people that would protest against the truth of God, uh, maybe flaunt ungodliness and rebellion 
against God in the streets. For example, maybe people that uh, uh, march for homosexuality or people that march uh, against Christianity and they blaspheme God's name. Maybe you would think of people like uh, Adolf Hitler or maybe Pharaoh in Exodus uh, or even terrorist organizations. And you'd say, you know, those people are probably the most hard-hearted people that there are. Just scoffers and blasphemers and rejectors of Christ. And while obviously all of those people could be accurately described as having hardened hearts, a lot of times, honestly, the hardest of hearts are found right in the church. A lot of times the hardest of hearts are found right in the midst of God's people. And church, this is the case with, with these disciples. You just consider the fact that despite seeing the glory of Christ, despite seeing the miracles of Christ, their hearts had gotten hard. And because of this, they struggled with great doubts. They struggled with great fear. They struggled with great unbelief. And before you look at them and say, man, how could they do that? Listen, just remember, you and I are just like them. We do the same thing. How often do we hear the word of God and the truth of God and yet we live our days full of doubt and full of unbelief and we're troubled? As you may be going through a storm in your life, uh, consider what is the condition of your heart? Is your heart hardened? As you go through that financial storm or the, the, that, that storm in your marriage or relational problems or the storm of death or the storm of sickness or bad health or the storm of tragedy, is your heart troubled? Is it unsettled? Are you full of fear and full of doubt? Is your heart burdened with care? As you consider that question this morning, I want you to know that we don't have to live this way because we have a great Savior that we can cast our burdens to. We have a Savior named Jesus Christ that is... Uh, able to sustain us, and He is in control of all of our storms. You understand that Jesus Christ, He is the only one that can deliver us from the storms of life. He is the only one that can keep our heads above water. He's the only one that can save us from the raging winds and the howling storms in our life. But the question for you this morning is this, do you trust that He will? Do you trust him in your storm? So we're going to, ahead, going to go ahead and jump into this. And uh, look at verse 45. The first point we see is the disciples sent away. And obviously, you know, we look at the disciples and it's kind of, it's really kind of like looking into a mirror. When we look at the disciples, we see us. And while this, this passage is kind of about the disciples, ultimately it's about Christ. But we first, we see the disciples sent away. Look at verse 45. We look at the first part there. And straightway, he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go over to the other side. And I'm going to stop there. This tells us that straightway, immediately, immediately, after everybody had gotten full, after the feeding of the 5,000 plus, Christ constrained his disciples to leave. That means that he compelled them. He, he made them go. He said, okay, look. You guys go, okay? Uh, you go away, and I'm going to send uh, away these people. Uh, and we know from John's account of this that 
Uh, these people tried to take him by force. They tried to make him their king. So here we go. People are flocking to Jesus like a moth to a light. This was the height of Jesus' popularity. Like this is his peak as far as popularity with the people go. But d- despite knowing the difficulties that would come with trying to send these people away, Christ still insisted that they would do so, that they would just leave, you just go into the boat, I'll send the people away. Uh, but why? Why would Christ try to do this by himself? Why would he send the disciples away to the boat and just say, hey, I'll catch up with you later? Well, there was two reasons. And the first reason was so that he could get away and you could pray. Look at verse 46. It says, and when the people had sent them, or when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Now we see Christ again, as he often does, he's making prayer a priority. So despite a long and strenuous day, despite having such a a time of busyness and a season of busyness, he did not allow that busyness to interfere with the necessary time with God the Father. And church, this is such a great lesson for us this morning. No matter what you're going through in your life, no matter what season you're going through in your life, no matter how busy you maybe are in the work of the ministry or in your family or in work, we must always make time to go to the Father and pray. We must. Now, the Greek word for this uh, praying of Jesus, it emphasizes seeking God's face. That's what Jesus was doing. He departed into a mountain so that he could seek the face of God. And why did he do that? He did this so that he would always be led by his presence, so that he would always be living by his purpose. Because Christ had a purpose. And he wanted to make sure that he was continually following after that purpose and continually doing what God would have him do. So he sought the face of God. It reminds me of David. David did the same thing. Let's go to Psalm 27. It shows us this truth of David. He often sought the face of God. Look at Psalm 27. And look at verse 4. David said this, One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David wanted the presence of God in his life. He wanted to seek after God. He wanted to, to seek after God's face. And Christian, what about you? Just, just consider for a moment, do you take time to seek God's face daily? Do you desire to live in his presence? Do you take the time to pray? And let me say this, do you take the time to pray outside of this building? I mean, it's great that we, we meet together as a church. It's great that we, that we pray together. We should do that. But you need to pray on your own. You need to pray out there. And I love what George Mueller said, a great man of prayer. He said that public prayer will never make up for closet communion. It's so true. But Christ, he sought the face of God. Christ prayed even in the midst of a very busy season. He knew he needed to pray 
And church, if Christ needed to take the time to pray, how much more do we? But Christ did not only send his disciples away so he could pray, but the second reason was so that he could test their faith. Let's go back to Mark chapter 6 when we begin to see this. Uh, Mark chapter 6, secondly, we see the disciples in the storm. Look at Mark chapter 6 and verse 47. We see the disciples in the storm. It says, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. So Jesus, he had spent hours praying. Now we know this because in verse 47 it says that, that Christ was on land when even was come, which means sometime after 6 p.m. And then in verse 48 it says that the disciples, they were, they were toiling and they were rowing the boats uh, during the fourth watch of the night, which meant sometime between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So, I mean, just imagine what the, the disciples, they would have had to, they had to have been exhausted. They had to have been frustrated. I mean, here they are. Uh, they're trying to uh, row the boat. They're trying to get to their destination. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee for hours going nowhere. And it says that Christ saw them toiling and, and rowing. And in the Greek, this, this toiling, it means to, to be tortured. It means to be harassed, to be distressed. So the disciples, they were not having a good time. This was difficult. Uh, they were having a terrible time as the wind was working contrary to them. And as they struggled for hours, as they labored and they toiled during the storm, I want you to understand here, it tells us that Christ saw it all. Despite the distance between him and them, Christ knew all about their troubles. He was not ignorant of their despair. Though he was on land, and though they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, he saw their distress. In church, when they were the furthest away from human eyes, and when they were really the most in over their heads, when they were the most uh, in trouble, and in, when they were in their most difficult hour, Jesus saw them. And Christian, today, I want you to know Christ sees your despair. Christ sees your pain. He sees your trouble. He sees your storm. He knows all about your troubles. He's not ignorant of your afflictions. Nothing happens that God does not see. Nothing. You understand, God is not up in heaven having a hard time keeping up with everything in your life. You know that? He does not have to play catch up with everything that's happening. He always sees. He always knows. He's always aware of our every need. He's always aware of our every trouble, our every storm. Let's go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And again, we see David here. And if, David, if there was anybody in the Old Testament that knew about trouble, and we think of Joseph, we think of David, David knew a lot about struggles and, and troubles of life. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 139. And may this be a comfort to us this morning. 
It says in verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, Lord, thou knowest it all together. You see that? Hey, God, he knows when you get up. He knows when you lie down. He knows what you're thinking. And that can be scary, amen? <laughs> he knows all about us. He sees it all. He, he is aware of everything that's going on in our lives in this very moment. And because this is so, we can have comfort. You know, we can say with Hagar in Genesis 16, 13, You are the God who sees me. And you consider Hagar, and what an illustration she is. Despite being abandoned, really an abandoned single mother, she had an angel of God that came to her and to inform her that, hey, look, God sees your trouble. God sees your distress. So she could, she could rest assured that God saw her affliction. And thank God this morning we know that he gives ear to the most desperate prayers of his people and he brings us help, just as he would for his disciples. In verse 47 of Mark chapter 6, our text tells us that he cometh unto them. So our loving Savior, as He always does, He drew near to the disciples when the storms, uh, the storm in, in their life was at the strongest and when the disciples were the weakest. And then uh, we saw in the last part of verse 48 that it says Christ would have passed them by. And that simply means that Christ desired to come alongside of them. And church, that right there shows us His intention. He wanted to help them. He wanted to do something for them. And He would. But first, he had to really test their faith. And we see in our, our text, let's go back to Mark chapter 6, we see a really a true test of faith that goes beyond them just being in the storm. Thirdly, we see the disciples and the Savior. Look at Mark chapter 6 and verse 49. And look what it says. It says, But when they saw him walking upon the sea... They supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him, and were troubled. Let me just stop right there. Jesus, he did not just walk towards them. I want you to understand what's happening here. Jesus came to his disciples while they were in this boat, and he came with authority. He came walking upon the sea. Do you understand how incredible this is? This is just amazing, okay? This, this word, on, as it says he was walking on the sea, this signifies contact. Jesus' feet had actual contact with the water. And he was walking on the surface of that sea, just as we would walk on hard pavement. So Jesus, he was walking on this stormy water with as much ease as we would on a sidewalk. Or down her own driveway. And it's just incredible to, to know that uh, he was doing this. And, and to understand that that which was about to be over the disciples' head was under Christ's feet. And church, this reminds me of Hebrews 2 verse 8. Where it says that thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. This is a prime example of that. And church, listen. This includes the storms of our life. 
all things, including your storm, is under his feet. It's under his control. It's under his subjection. But the disciples, they did not realize it was Christ that was walking towards them. They thought, as it says here, that it was a spirit. Now the word spirit here was associated with magic and charms and, and the systems of Satan. So you just imagine. Just try to think about the disciples and, 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 and realize what, what state they were in. They had just gotten back from being on a trip where they had been at war with demonic forces for months. And, you know, again, here they are, dead tired. I mean, up for hours, toiling, rowing struggling. I mean, they had to have been worn out. And not only that, Jewish superstition also among fishermen uh, said that ghosts that was seen at night would for, was really foretelling destruction and disaster and death. So you just think about what the disciples, what was going through their mind. They thought that the end was near. They were unaware that it was Christ. And again, church, listen, we know that like the disciples, they lacked faith. They thought the worst. We do the same thing. The terror of the storm was swallowed up by an even greater terror. As they saw, they thought they saw a ghost and they thought the end was, was close. So we're told that they cried out in horror in verse 49. And that simply means they screamed. They screamed in terror. They were greatly troubled. But Christ... Thank God he did not leave them in their trouble. In their distress, Christ spoke words of comfort. Look at verse 50 again. And look at the words in red at the very end there. What does he say? It says, well, first it says immediately. As soon as they, they cried out and they were, they were troubled, immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Hey, look, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of despair, in the midst of terror, and then in the midst of fear, Christ assured them of his presence. Hey, be of good cheer. Meaning, be of good courage. Be courageous. Stop being afraid. Well, how could they stop? Because it was him, and it was nobody else. He was present with them. He was there. He was telling them, listen, stop worrying, and stop fretting, because I am with you. And you imagine how great of a relief this must have been. For the disciples, they thought they were encountering a demonic spirit, and then they soon found out, oh no, it's our friend, it's our shepherd, it's our Lord, it's Jesus Christ. So in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this difficult time, Christ was with them. He did not leave his disciples helpless. And Christian, know this, Christ is with you in your storm. He doesn't just see you. He's presently there with you. As David said, he is a very present help in trouble. And we can take hold of the same promise that God would often give to Israel. If you would, turn with me to Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41. Look at verse 10. Isaiah 41, verse 10. And we know this is written to Israel, but as God's people today, we can take hold of this promise. In verse 10 it says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. 
It's what Jesus said to his disciples. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And look, in the, in the midst of peril, Christ gives us peace. In the midst of our weakness, Christ gives us strength. In the midst of our fear, Christ gives us assurance. In the midst of our hopelessness, Christ gives us help. And for those of you this morning that are going through trials, and going through storms, and going through seasons that are difficult to bear, and again, I know there are many, I want you to know that Christ is saying to you this morning, have courage, I'm here. I am with you. We can certainly only take courage when we know that Christ is with us. Isn't that right? But not only was Christ present in their time of trouble, and not only did he let them know I'm here, but he also brought relief and he calmed the storm. Let's go to Mark chapter 6 again. Mark chapter 6 one more time. And look at verse 51. It says in verse 51 that of Christ, after he said these words, it says, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Now, this is the same instance that Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. But in this account, it's not even mentioned. Because the focus of this, again, is Christ. Christ is the superstar of this story. He's the one that this is about. So the focus is on him. And as Jesus, as he did step into the boat, it says that the winds ceased, which means that they grew weary and they grew tired and they ceased from violence and they ceased from raging. As Martin, uh, Marvin Vincent said, the sea sank to rest as if exhausted by its own beating. And in this, church, we see the power that Christ has over creation. Nature is no match for our God. Nature must obey God. You consider the fact that the same God that divided the Red Sea, the same God that caused the Jordan to dry up, the same God that caused water to flow out of the rocks so the Israelites could drink, He calmed this storm. And... This Christ, he did not only see the disciples in the storm, he did not only be, show himself present in the storm, but he was in total control of the storm. And the disciples were told that they were amazed. They, they wondered at this. Matthew's account tells us that they fell down on the ship and they worshipped him. And rightfully so. They should have, right? And they said, you really are the Son of God. They acknowledged his deity now you'd think that they would have remembered all the past miracles <laughs> and all the, the past uh, events that have happened to show how powerful he was. You would think that they would have faith from the very beginning of the storm that Christ was going to take care of them. Now remember, they, were, they should have realized, hey, this happened one other time. Remember? Remember when Jesus was asleep? And then he woke up and we, we told them, we woke up and we said, listen, we're going to die. And then what did he do? He said, peace be still. And then, you think they would have remembered that. you think that they would have remembered what happened just that 
last afternoon with the feeding of the 5,000. And you think that they would have realized, oh wait, Jesus sent us in the boat. So he sent us in the storm. So he's going to get us through it. You think that they, they would have realized this, but they didn't because their hearts were hardened and they did not consider any of those miracles. Look at verse 52. Lastly, we see the disciples stiff heart. Verse 52. It says, For they consider not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. So even after all that Jesus had done, including the miracle just prior where he fed thousands and thousands and thousands of people, the disciples, they failed to grasp the truth of Jesus' supernatural character. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts had grown callous. Their hearts became dull. Their hearts uh, were hardened really because of their own willful stubbornness. Uh, their own will and their own stubbornness kept them from truly understanding Christ and having faith. Though Christ had, had come through for them time and time again, though he had revealed himself and his power to them, they hardened their hearts and it caused them to doubt in the midst of this great trouble. And truly, church, how many of us can relate with the disciples in this? How often do we doubt the power of God in every aspect of life? How often do we doubt that He has a power to get us through our storm? How often do we doubt that He will give us the grace to get us through? How often do you, as a Christian, lack courage and fail to look to God in the midst of your storm? How often is your heart dull? How often is your heart full of doubt and, and hardened? And how often do you doubt the truth that Christ is sovereign over your storm? Church, understand this morning, God has all authority. He has power over all things. And He will guide you in this storm if you would let Him. But maybe this morning your, your heart's full of doubt. Maybe your heart, like the disciples, is hardened. Before you doubt his ability to use a storm in your life for his purpose and for his glory, I want you to remember, according to Romans, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Before you doubt his presence in your life, remember, as Hebrews tells us, he hath said, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. Before you doubt that he can give you strength to carry on in this storm. Remember, as the psalmist says, My flesh and heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart. Before you doubt his faithfulness, remember that God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Before you doubt, remember the truth of his word. Do not allow your heart to become dull to the truth that we find in Scripture. Have faith. Have courage. Believe God. Tell me this. When has God ever failed you? When? He has never failed you. And He will not start now. He never will. And you know we can always take the past faithfulness of God. As a promise for His continued care for us. 
And Christ, He is the only one that really can come towards us in our storms. Uh, He's the only one that can walk on the stormy water to deliver us from our storms. Nothing else. So don't go to anything else. Don't go to anyone else. Just go to Christ because He's the only one that can give us the courage to continue on. He's the only one that can cause us to be of good cheer in the midst of the most trying times. So do not doubt Him. Cling to His Word. Cling to the truth of God. That is your best defense. Instead of doubting Him, run to Him with childlike faith. Listen, I know some of you feel weak, but even when you feel weak, you must run to Him. I like what one missionary once said, in your storm, you may feel so weak that you feel you cannot run to Him. If you cannot run to Him, then walk. If you cannot walk to Him, then crawl. And if you cannot crawl to Him, then just fall on Him because He will take you up. Church, there's so much to consider this morning for us that are believers, maybe going through a trying time, a storm. Do you seek the face of God in prayer? Probably would be a good thing for you to do this morning. As God has placed you in your storm, do you lack faith? Are you failing right now with a hardened heart to look to Christ to get you through your storm? Are you looking at your storm instead of looking to Christ? You remember, again, I said already in the same instance it was Peter. What happened with Peter? He got out and he did good for a while. He kept his eyes on Christ. And when he kept his eyes on Christ, he stayed above water. But the moment he looked at the waves and he got his eyes off Christ, what happened? He sank. We must keep our eyes on Christ. So how is your faith? How is your heart? Is it full of faith or is it full of doubt? In what area does God need to grow your faith? In what area do you need to ask Him to to grow you? Trust in God. Have courage. And have faith that He will get you through. I, I have no doubt that there are some this morning, you absolutely have no peace. You have no assurance, you have no strength, and you have no hope, and that's because you have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ. You do not have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Your your heart has been hardened to the truth of the gospel for so long, but could it be that today God's word has broken your heart like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Maybe... This morning, you're realizing that you must call on Him for salvation. You are realizing uh, that without Him, you have no hope. Without Him, you have nothing. Without Him, there's no peace. Look, you must understand today that as human beings, we are all sinful, broken, and fallen people. And then we have God, who is perfect, He's holy, He's set apart from all others. And, and right now, we are at, if, if you're here today and you have not trusted on Christ, you are at odds with God. You're a child of wrath. You're a child of the devil. You're not a child of God. But the good thing is, is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And He sent Him down to earth, and He lived a, a sinless life. And He was a perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. He took the wrath of God upon himself so that you do not have to. 
And the Bible tells us if we would call upon the name of the Lord, if we would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we shall be saved. Do you have this assurance this morning? Have you trusted in the perfect blood of Jesus Christ? Have you repented and turned to Christ? He's calling you today to do it if you've not done that already. And Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15 and 19 says this, Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, meaning the Israelites' wilderness wandering. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And to the lost souls that are here this morning, I say to you, do not harden your hearts to the truth of the gospel anymore. The Israelites, they did not believe, in, they did not believe God. They did not have the faith that was necessary for them to be brought in to the promised land because of their unbelief. And if you're here this morning, you're not saved, you do not believe the gospel, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You need to trust on Jesus Christ. Do not leave here today without calling upon the name of the Lord. Do not leave here today without trusting on Christ for forgiveness of sin. Because it's only by Him. It's not of works. There's nothing that we can do to be saved. Going to church is not going to get you forgiveness from God. Being a good person is not going to get you uh, forgiveness from God. Nothing we do. It's not by works. It's only through Jesus Christ. Don't harden your heart to this truth anymore. Just fall on His grace. Trust on Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sin. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.